All right. Welcome back to the Outdoor Adventures podcast. Sam Williams here with Brent Norlander. Uh, Brent, you did episode five with us, and now we are in the 20s. So, oh, the mighty episode five. Yeah. So it's been a while. I'm sure like your phone's been lighting up ever since. Like, Yeah. Quite colorful. No. Yeah. Lots of requests for additional podcasting. Well, both of your listeners have responded. So. <laughs> right. You've gotten calls from both of them. My mom and my grandma. Yeah. No, uh, Brent and I are both in the mortgage business. Uh, so we're, we've got a lot of free time. It's a Monday and it's a morning and we got time to do a podcast. So yeah, busiest day of the week. And uh, we did our 20 minutes of work. Yeah, we got it knocked out. You know, interest rates aren't helping us, but they are slowly coming down. So we'll see what happens. Is this your marketing thing? No, huh? I just, it, I got I got to warm us up. You know, we got to talk about something in the beginning the here. The bleeding is starting to uh, subside. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not hemorrhaging anymore. It's just a slow bleed, you know? Um, but anyway, uh, Brent is a big fisherman, as you all know from the last time he was on here. And he catches a lot of fish. And so I wanted to get him on and have him tell us about his recent yellowtail um, fishing trip and then also kind of share with us how his season went this fall. He also, I want to say co-founder of Shop Talk, which is a, a big get together with outdoorsmen from around the Willamette Valley. And we all meet out at a place in Jefferson. I haven't been able to make it the last couple months, but it's a, it's a really cool event. They're doing a really good job with it. And they, you know, we all eat a meal together. We have some guest speakers, we have some hunting and fishing guides and everybody just talks outdoors so yeah it's super fun and we just uh uh it's just relationships with guys that like the outdoors and just trying to you know basically put some community into it with the the guys because there's a there's a real wonderful world out there that uh is has been kind of rough on guys and it's kind of nice just to get together with other dudes and and talk about the stuff we like to and and uh know their support and stuff like that out there and and you learn some things and it's it's just pretty fun and we do that once a month out there and uh, it's it's been really cool, and we're just got to keep growing that thing. So you know, all different speakers come out there talking fishing, hunting, um, just other stuff too, just guy stuff, even fixing things, how not to embarrass yourself when your car breaks down, whatever. Yeah, and, it's it's been <clears throat> neat. I they're doing a really good job with it, and we did a swap meet on one of them too, which was cool. You brought you know gear you weren't using, and I gave I traded Brent some. Uh, flashers and he gave me some bass rods because he's only got about 400 of those so i got a lot less now yeah do you? yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're tapering the collection i think i sold like 60 rods or something that day oh man yeah no you had some good stuff people your booth was a lot more popular than some of the others so but anyway so tell us about this yellowtail trip so i i would say describe where you went how you got there and then we'll get into the fishing. Yeah, so you have to kind of lay the precipice here, uh, paint the picture. Every every fishing trip you go on, you always kind of want it to be an adventure. So that's the one big plus of going, and this time it was down in Mexico. But no matter where it is, um, you can turn it into whether it's eastern Oregon or wherever you go. That's fine. Um, but it is kind of fun when you get on airplanes and you got to pack all your stuff up and you get the rod tubes and logistics. So... We, uh, we went down to a place uh, called Cedros Island. Um, it's off of Baja, uh, down in Mexico there. And it's just a little island. It's just a rock sitting out in the Pacific, about 25 miles off the coast of Baja there. And uh, so we fly down, and, you know, your normal thing, you go to San Diego. But 
instead of uh, the normal like flying to Mexico because you got the border crossing thing. So you you get off San Diego and you go through. Uh, you technically you walk across the border. Um, so you have all your gear and you're walking across the border. Basically, yeah. So you you go through uh, the customs thing, which is pretty nice. It's uh, place called CDX or whatever they call it. But uh, uh, so you walk across technically to Tijuana and and then there's an airport there. So you just literally park and then walk across the border and then you, you're you in the airport there in Tijuana. So it's not like you got to walk the streets or something with your gear hanging off of you. Right. Um, and that's just your normal dig. But then you get on um, one of those little, uh, you know, uh, Cessna caravans, you know, the the drug runner planes, right? The, yeah, the, the, perfect. The, the, the 20, 20 seaters or 15 seaters, 12, whatever they are. And uh, then you fly about uh, an hour south um, and then you land on this little sort of runway. And uh, uh, just like I said, there's only maybe 2,000 people on this whole island mm. um, and it's just a rock. And uh, the biggest, biggest industry there is salt. Actually, oh. I think it's a salt transfer, mining, something or other. But you see piles of white salt out there. I think it's salt anyway. And uh, Are so, you bumping into other fishermen too along the way? I mean, is this it, a really popular spot to fish? It's it's a kind of a, a, a marquee location for this kind of fishing uh, for yellowtail. And, and uh, there's I think there's a couple different places on the island that are technically you know, outfitters or lodges at, um, there's four or five. There was one of them. I don't know if they're still around, but they actually used to do it with just kayak fishing. Mm. So you could go there and you paddle out with kayaks and, um, depending on how you want to fish and what you're catching, it might be a little undersized for the operation, but yeah. especially knowing what's swimming around out there too. It's a little iffy, but they teach their own. Um, but anyway, you go down there and, it, and it's just like a normal, would be one of those they pick you up in a van, take you back, and there's kind of a place, and and everybody's got Cedros um, uh, Island sport fishing is one we uh, uh, went to, and uh, it's it's a pretty good gig. I mean, it's like most things, it's you know, uh, you know, a couple thousand bucks to go and whatnot, but you can get there, and they take ten or fifteen folks in there, and then as you fish, there's uh, you fish in these twenty four foot open pongas. Um, and usually two to three guys a boat, um, and they've got five or six boats, and you go out and you know do your daily fishing and and whatnot. But it's it's what you would think in Mexico. You know, it's you know pretty warm, and uh, you know other than being sunburned, you don't have to really worry about much. Um, and you're the guy that's not going to just show up and be like, oh, what gear do you have for <clears throat> me? You know? Yeah, you do have to kind of bring your own. Um, anytime you go to. Uh, lodges or outfitters or things like that unless it's a really high-end place you need to take your own stuff Cause yeah because they're going to have stuff but who knows how good it'll be how old that line is you know it's it's pretty grubby gear mm-hmm. you know and 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 i get it and for a lot of guys you know it's like you don't want to buy the custom gear um because you know you're casting and doing these things but you know most guys aren't going to have a basically a halibut caliber rod for for surface casting things i mean and you know, they cost several hundred dollars for the rods and the reels and this, that, and the other. So uh, it is tough. So it's better to know somebody with the gear and just borrow it than, uh, than do it unless you're really going to be into it. But it's, it's pretty cool. And, and you know, the, the quality of the gear is mostly just your reels. The rods just got to be tough enough. And, you know, everybody's, you know how it is with fishing rods, right? You have the guys that are, hey, this one's, you know, fickle the sensitivity and the lightness and, the, you know, 
But for the average fisherman, even the above average fisherman, it, 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 it's like a 150 hitter saying, oh man, I gotta have a better bat. It's like, dude, yeah. it ain't the bat. Well, yeah, yeah, I was talking to a guy at my wife's Christmas party this last weekend and uh, he's a big G Loomis guy. And he was telling me he was trolling and he, he snapped one of his rods and he was trolling too heavy a gear for the rod. And it was one of his Loomis rods, but he wasn't going to go drop another four or 500 bucks on another Loomis. So he bought a $29 rod that day just to try it. He's caught like 400 fish on this thing now. And like it's his go-to rod. It was 29 bucks. Yeah. I, I, we've all seen that. We've all done it. And it's, and it's, it's kind of like, it's like the ski bums when you see up on the hill that, you know, they've got, you know, two skis that don't match and their boots are duct taped together and stuff. But it's it's but it works. It works. And they don't want to mix it up. You yeah, know? and it's like don't don't screw with what works. The fish don't care what kind of boat you're in or what kind of rod you're holding or whatever. It's it's all about you know what are they seeing and what do they want to grab. And as long as you got the stuff that can get it out there, that works. But I will say, um, the uh, the kind of fishing we did down there um, and yellowtail are kind of back up a little bit. Everybody thinks she's yellowfin tuna. Mm-hmm. It's like. Not the same. Yellowtail are actually an amberjack. Um, they look a little bit different. Um, they're incredible to eat. Sushi grade stuff, very, very popular. Um, but, uh, and they kind of eat the same, live in the same kind of water that tuna do, but uh, completely different. Are they schooling up like a tuna too, where you get into a big school of them? They will get into big schools. I think uh, most of them are usually, you know, 50, 100 fish um, okay. at a time, and they pretty much. The way we were doing it, it's it's a very very popular fishery in like uh, off of San Diego, Southern California, and what uh, whatnot. But they 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 typically use live bait and they put them out and uh, troll and whatnot. We go down uh, to Cedros where it's uh, again this is where the same kind of fish, but they're in high enough concentrations where you can fish for them differently. In this case, our big thing was we wanted to cast surface lures for them. Okay, and uh, they call them surface irons, which is basically a j- big chunk of aluminum with this gaff hook on the end of it, and you throw it out there in front of them, and you reel as fast as you can. And so it's not like a popper; you're not throwing it out there and, and working it like no, a topwater. You, no, you just start cranking it back like crazy. And then okay. we used a lot of stick baits too, which mm-hmm. you know those like you know twelve inch long Rapala type of plugs. Okay, and uh, uh, these fish are moving so fast, you have to you know lead them by 20, 30 feet and get out in front of them. And then, uh, but when you do, if you get the cast right, you pretty much know ahead of time and you get about four cranks into it and then it's about rip your, rip your rod out of your hand. And I've caught a lot of fish all over the world, different kinds. I have never got my butt whooped like those things. And they're, you know, the, the good ones we were getting were, you know, upper thirties, close to 40 pounds. Um, but they are incredibly strong. Yeah, you told me when you got back, like, I've never caught a fish like that. Like, they just hammered you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird. I mean, you're used to some fish violently hitting it and thrash pretty hard, you know, like if you're fresh, like bass fishing, you know, it's great the first three seconds, you know, the fish spazzes out, but they calm down relatively quick. These things, they just keep going, and you cannot believe how much power they got left in the tank. For Once you get up in the boat, you're like, that's it? I mean, you were like, you thought you had, you know, this giant fish on there. Felt and, like you were fighting a marlin. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, it's, it's incredible, but uh, you have to use heavy gear, which is really weird 
you know, casting, you know, these rods, like a pool cue and, you know, level wine. So it's hard. You do get tired throwing these, you know, six ounce lures, you know, casting 70 yards. Oh, yeah. And cranking as fast as you can all day. It'll it'll wear you out. But uh, uh, you don't need to catch too many of them to, to make it feel. But it was... It's pretty fun, and you catch all different sorts of stuff there. I mean, barracuda were a nightmare. They kind of beat them off the hook. And, um, but you'd catch other stuff, even uh, if we're fishing down deeper. Sometimes we'd use what they call a yo-yo rig, which is essentially the same thing, a metal lure, but it's typically brass, heavier. And you just drop it down to the bottom. And, and you're jigging it 80 up. 80 feet of water. And it's kind of jigging, but it's a little different. It's like you, you just engage the reel, and then you just reel like mad for like 20 feet and then stop and then let it go down. So it's jigging, but it's like a long sweep. Um, so it's kind of a hybrid jig kind of thing. That's why they call it yo-yoing. It's a little different. But, um, you know, and the fish get down by the bottom, and that's what you do. But we'd catch halibut, um, and then they've got a lot of calico bass down there. You can catch the catch the bejesus out of those if you want to, just little, like they're rock fishing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can put lead head jigs, whatever you want to, if you get bored. So, um you go back and forth, and you just catch a little of everything. But it's it's a lot of uh, a lot of fishing, and you know you're you're trying to sight fish as much as you can. But sometimes you just go where you know they are, and uh, it works pretty good. But were you? Is there other fish they're going to hammer too, to where like you have a yellowtail on or one of those calico bass on? Was there other fish like the barracuda that would come in and hammer them? <clears throat> Not so much other fish on that one. The problem I had was with sea lions. Go oh, okay. figure. Huh. They're everywhere, man. Yeah. You, yeah. Know? you can't escape them. And, yeah. and the only plus side, I did have one one pretty good one on, and I had a, a big bull sea lion grab my, uh, I don't know how he caught it, but he did. And uh, he grabbed it and just went down. And the only nice thing was he eventually had to let go of it because the sea lion wasn't strong enough to pull that fish up to the surface and it kept him down he had to get some air so he finally had to let go of the thing um man and it's did you land that fish yeah i got him and just had the teeth marks in the head yeah Um, but he was still alive he still you still fought him and everything yeah yeah so they're tough they're they're super i mean any of those tropical fish are kind of tough you know you got to be super fast and super mean otherwise you're dead yeah and um, but yeah, it was a little disconcerting to go down there and find out that yep, sea lions are a problem everywhere because they're taking your salmon around <laughs> here in the rivers. So. Yeah, you're like, are you kidding me? I mean, yeah. it's nothing cool. We did have one or two where you brought up just the head, mm. something bit it off. Probably sharks or whatever. I mean, they've mm. got everything down there. But um, there's a few tuna around. But for the most part, you're just you're targeting that that specific fish that you're looking for. But you could switch around and change up your your methods every day if you want to do you bring home a lot of fish yeah you can you got a limited amount you can bring back because of the plane Mm -hmm. um so you just take a soft side cooler down there and then you know they just fillet them all up and cut them up and then you know vacuum pack them and freeze them and then you just put them in your cooler bag and you can bring basically a 50 pound bag cooler full of of fish back with you so you try to stay super light because you got your weight limits on the plane and um, you know, you leave behind your clothes, whatever else. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, you're coming home with your gear and your fish. Yeah, you bring your gear and your fish home. That's yeah. it. And and uh, so that was, it was, it's it's a fun trip. It's a it's a good bucket lister to do for folks if you just want something that's fun and like you're gonna catch fish and, um, and they got all different ways you could you could catch them. But that's it's a good one for you know seasoned anglers to go out and like okay I, I'm a pretty good fisherman. 
you know, I'm not like a you know, top-tier fly fisherman where i got to cast 75 yards with a finesse thing or anything like that. It's like, no, if you can cast a level wine pretty heavy and, and uh, you know, you're in decent shape, I will say that. You gotta, if, you're, if you're messed up, if you've got bad shoulders or something, maybe it's not the good, good gig just because it's going to tax you. Yeah, because um, you're in pretty good shape and it still taxed you. I, I was beat to a pulp. Yeah. I mean, I did get COVID on the last day, which didn't oh, help no. any. So it was like, yeah, that made it real fun. But uh, it's, it's, yeah, you got you to gotta kind of keep your wits about you there. But it's, it, it's a little weird because it's not like here where you're in boats. You're in these 24-foot open boats, which that's fine. But in kind of, let's just say the culture down there is a little lax in terms of safety or backup safety devices. So... I'm, I'm pretty sure there weren't any life jackets on the boat. Um, and, you know, you're out there in the chop and they're trying to, oh, we're out of gas. Oh, yeah. On a single engine. And they're trying to refuel while you're splashing around out in the waves. That always builds your confidence. And then you realize that um, they've got little two-way radios, but once you're around the point, there's, there is no communication. I'm like, do anybody even know where we're at? There's no other boats around. You're floating out there. The current's swinging out towards the Pacific. And you got a you know four or five foot standing waves, and it's starting to build up in the wind, and you're kind of looking at each other, kind of going, "Hmm, um, can I swim back to that rock? Maybe let's get it a little on the uh, you know leeward side of this island and get back to fishing in some flatter water." He's like, yeah. "Oh, the fish are out here, though." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, we've caught enough for today. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like this isn't worth it, but you, you can kind of look around in the boat with the your buddies, and you're kind of like, "Yeah, my spidey senses are starting to say this is not." not optimal right <clears throat> so it's just you got to realize where you're at and what's going on yeah that but that adds to the adventure it's the adventure man yeah. and like if you're not risking anything it's like what's the point point? and right. you know you have to have some adventure stories to get back and uh it is uh it's a colorful place to go i mean you'll see a few things that you're not going to see um up here in you know the fishing's great and, and and all of that stuff so how many days in total were you over there fishing? Uh, I think we fished for four days. Okay. Uh, you go in one day and you can, you know, it's like any trip. Though. When you get there around noon or one, you know, it's like everybody's all amped up, right? So everybody wants to, you know, throw all their, throw all their junk in their, in their bunks and then just grab your gear, string it up and run and jump on a boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you do that. And then the last day, it's like, well, you can go out and fish in the morning if you want to, but nobody's got it in them. Right. I mean, it's just like, no, let's just have breakfast and watch the sunrise and let's just do our thing. and Tell stories about the one that got away or... Yeah, yeah. And uh, depending on the group you're with, you can have different things. We get competitive with the other boats, who got what. And, but we kind of fish as a pool. So it's like you just catch, you're allowed five a day, I think. Um, so you just, you know, everybody just gets what they can until the freezers are filled up back at the, the camp. So... Um, you know, but it was, it's always competitive. That's how guys typically are anyway. And, and Were you eating a lot of fish while you were there too? Yeah. I mean, they had great, you know, uh, the, the cooks, you know, they make you like in the afternoons you come in and you're done fishing by two o'clock every day. You just, you can't do anymore. You're just beat. And, and so you come back, you have your ceviches and your whatever, and they make all the stuff out of the, the fish you're catching there. And they got, um, Actually, it's abalone and mm. lobsters are their big industry there. They've got some fishermen that go up and down and do that. So you get some pretty good seafood there that you wouldn't normally get in places, and they know how to make it. So it's it's 
it's just yeah. a cool experience. Yeah, you're eating good. Yeah, you're always eating good at those places. It's yeah. just, it's kind of like, but uh, uh, but yeah, it is a little different. You get up and you know everybody wants to get up in the morning, so you get up at five in the morning, go fish, but you're always back by one o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon. Not because the fishing's done, but you're done, and you just can't handle anymore. Do you have one like highlight fish or one fish story of hey, this fish really worked me? I didn't land it. Yeah. Uh, I was fishing out. I think it was like I think it was the last day we were fishing. It was stick bait, and there were a lot of fish breaking. And um, this one grabbed it, and it took off. And it was like there was nothing I could do to slow it down. And it was you know a hundred yards gone, and it was still. And these are twenty five pound drags on your reels. I mean that's a lot of pressure, and you just could not stop it and it just kept going and going and going and then finally comes out there and just ripped the hooks out of the um, the the plug I was using which um, I'm not really sure how you straighten out those giant treble hooks but it, it I just the power that it took to do that I just can't even it just blows your mind and so you think it was just a giant yellowtail or just one that was really pissed off <clears throat> I think it was probably you know it might have been a you know a 50 pounder or something like yeah. that and uh, you just can't, you just can't stop them. I mean, the gear we're using is pretty, pretty darn heavy. I mean, we're using, you know, uh, your normal 65 pound spectra. Um, and then, uh, you just have a 10 or 12 foot leader on their thing and, and you just do an FG knot, just put it straight on. And then, uh, you know, 50 pound, you know, fluorocarbon or whatever. Most of the time we don't use fluorocarbon. We use regular mono because, the the hits are so violent you have no stretch in anything and if you don't have that sometimes you'll just break them off on the hook set mm. uh so we'd get that shock shock absorber in there of 20 feet of mono but um i don't know if anybody guys use 40 50 pound mono you'd be surprised how much pressure you can put on that line we use it a lot for salmon fishing and you'd be surprised i mean how much pressure that line will actually take it kind of baffled me i was like i can't break it yeah. Oh, that's a and, thick line. And but somehow we break them off. There's guys that troll every year down in tidewater, and they use forty, fifty pound leaders on their little spinners behind their, you know, uh, trolling gear, and and you'll you'll see them. They break them off every year, but that's typically because the fish grabs it and takes off so fast. And you're dragging that skateboard behind you or whatever it is, and and you know it'll it'll build that kind of pressure up. But it's it's amazing how much pressure you can actually put on those lines and so it's it's pretty fun but you 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 get a definite workout on it and you really get an appreciation for how, how powerful your gear really is when you need to use it yeah uh it sounds like a great trip and would you go back you think is that one that uh the missus will let you fork out the cash for again well it's still in in uh, negotiations at this point but uh you know, and then there's some stuff where I just, I like to go around and try different things, too. Yeah. Um, would I go back there? Is it fun? Sure. You know, I mean, I'd love to go back to do a lot of different places. Um, but maybe there's a different one that, you know, <coughs> sounds more appealing at the time. Yeah, I mean, probably the most fun trip I've ever done is Guatemala. But I look at that now, and it's, you know, that's six, 7000 bucks. Yeah. Uh, to go down there for four days. Yeah, because it's everybody in the world knows knows about it now, and it's the best. So, all right, that's probably just going to be a memory component. Mm -hmm. um, but there's always something cool to do, and and I know different guys like doing different things. If you like just catching big fish, 
um, yeah, you can go on those long range tuna boats and go out there and catch your, you know, couple hundred pound tuna, you know, and, but that's more like a weightlifting contest. And, um, I kind of like the combination. You like big, strong fish, but you also want to, uh, you know, have, have it be kind of technical and skill-based instead of just trolling and, and wait for your percentage to come up. It's like, all right, well, what did I do? Nothing. You just you were just paid to sit on the boat and crank it in. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, Mar- I've caught marlin and I've caught sturgeon before, and it's kind of like those big oversized sturgeon or those marlin. It's just work. You know, you're, you're usually breaking your anchor and they're towing you around until they get too tired to where you can actually get them to the boat. Yeah, know? it's cool to do. I mean, everybody should do it, right? It's, yeah. just, it's a freak show thing. You get your picture taken. You're like, hey, I caught a 400-pound fish. Mm-hmm. Wow, okay. Um, and it, it's it's like anything in our you know we it's the it's the thrill of the hunt and kind of the the experience that goes with it. Um, you know, most things in life aren't quite as exciting as they're built up to be sometimes. But you know, but fishing kind of can be. Hunting's the same way. You go through and it's like you know you know, you forget about getting up at three in the morning and tired and this breaking and that not working and you know you're uncomfortable, you're too hot, you're too cold and stuff, but you kind of forget about all that stuff and you just remember the cool parts of it, which that's why we do what we do. I mean, yeah, I've never thought about that because, you know, you go through those experiences where nothing goes right and it's just a miserable day up until the point where you catch the fish. Right. And all you remember is catching that fish. You don't remember all the chaos that ensued or the fight you got with your wife because you were sneaking out to go fishing that morning or whatever. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like hunting. It's like you go on a seven day hunt. It's like, here's me with this big mule deer I got. And it's like, this was so cool and blah, blah. It's like, yeah, what about the first five days you were there? That were torture. That were yeah. torture, and you were wet and cold, and you got fights with people, and this and that. And guys were in your hunting spot. You were all mad, and mm-hmm. you don't re- you don't remember any of that stuff. You just kind of like, hey, check this out, and and uh, but that's that's the whole point. It's it's no different fishing, hunting, sports. You know, you don't remember training for the eight months when you're wet, cold, and tired, and you just remember the glory part of it. Yeah, yeah. but so- that's that's it. Where do you rank uh, this yellowtail fishing with other fish you caught? I mean, it's got to be, I'm guessing, towards the top. In terms of power, I'd definitely put it at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I haven't caught anything. There's there's people that will claim, you know, that I hate that pound for pound thing because it's yeah. it's relative to, you know. The gear you're using. The gear you're so using and the conditions. You have to, mm-hmm. you can't like, all right, let's try everything with a 20-pound test in this rod and we'll see which fish. It, it, you can't do that. Um there are certainly ones that, you know, any inshore fishing down in the tropics, you know, for Trevally or any of that stuff, I mean, they will tear you up. And, you know, if you have a spinning rod or a fly rod or something like that, you know, fine. But if you had a big heavy rod, it wouldn't, it wouldn't seem that great. So it's all relative to your gear. But this is one where you used heavy gear and you still got throttled. Yeah. And you're kind of like, okay, I could, I mean, they would put a 50-pound Chinook to shame. Mm. I mean, it would be embarrassing. Yeah, and you've caught a lot of salmon. So that was the next thing I wanted to talk to you about is just how your salmon season went. So I spent most of my fall hunting. Every once in a while, I'd get a phone call from you. Hey, I got a spot in the boat tomorrow. And I'd be like, oh, I'm doing this or oh, I'm doing that. And we did, never not Did you go. even get a tag? I didn't. I never bought a tag. Well, there's your I answer. Never, I never went fishing. But I would have had I had the right timing and it never worked out. But next year. Yeah, that's the, the thing. I mean, this year was actually good. Yeah. Um, 
That's what uh, I've heard. I heard it was kind of a... And not everywhere. We thought it was going to be, you know, really good in all the coastal rivers and stuff. And it started out, you know, every August it starts the same way. It's like, hey, a few are here, a few are there. We get some early fish. Like, oh, this might be it. And, and then most of the river systems peter out. I mean, the last few years, all of them did. But um, How was buoy 10 this year? Uh, it was good time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, again, that's not one of my favorites. It's like, mm-hmm. it's great if <clears throat> you have folks that maybe don't fish a lot or, um, you know, they're not into the technical stuff. I mean, I guess you can call trolling technical, but because um, there's a lot to it. But um, you're just playing the percentages when you go up there. And if it's good, you'll do good. If it's, if it's not, you don't. But uh, uh, I just think for the amount of effort you get, it's like I'd much rather fish in tide water, um, you know, hunting fish down. It's just, it's more fun for me. And, um, you know, those, those offshore fisheries can be very, very productive in terms of catching your fish. But um, I don't find it horribly exciting to go catch a coho with a bunch of trolling gear off the coast. I mean, any kind of fishing's fun, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it, it, in terms of <clears throat> the thrill of it. Um, yeah, and eating-wise, those fish right out of the ocean are about the best eating. Yeah, you're not going to get any better than an ocean-caught coho or something mm-hmm. as far as eating goes. So that part's cool, but um, we ended up doing pretty good. And uh, a couple of the rivers did okay. Most of the guys were fishing the Solettes this year. Um, because they got a lot of fish and they stayed in the same area, but it was complete battle fishery. For any of you guys that were out there, you would know. Um, Lots of boats. There were so many boats out there. I mean, and it was it was difficult because you've got three different kinds of fishermen. You've got the trollers um, and the advent of the pro troll the last you know eight or nine years or whatever it is. It's turned. Uh, basically an average or an I don't know fisherman into a, a pretty decent fisherman just because it's all YouTube it up, figure it out, and your percentages will play out. Um, so those guys were fishing in droves down there. And then you've got the traditional old guys that want to anchor up and fish the quick fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and they actually did pretty well at different times. I saw those guys doing it, but they're anchored. And then you've got the bobber fishermen who are all trying to float around and do this. So you got three different kinds of fishing going on all in the same same section of river, this two-mile section. Um, it left us some, well, probably some colorful exchanges of opinion um, yeah. on, you know, who's doing what to mess up who. And so you had to just kind of work around it. And it was like, you know, hey, we're all out here trying to do the same thing. And yeah. Those fish don't have a chance <laughs> when you got that many different angles coming at them. It does seem a little arduous for a fish to get through that stuff. I mean, you know, it's like, I mean, with all of the flashers and this, it'd be like trying to swim through a disco. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I don't know if it messes them up, but uh, we, we did have some, last year, um, <clears throat> we did have uh, some areas where we could see the fish were loaded up on the graph. They were in there, but we could not get them to go, and that's never happened before. Hmm. And these were not biting. No they weren't what. biting for some reason. We couldn't figure it out, and we tried every trick and trade same same situation year after year. It's always been pretty good, but we could not get them to go. And there were hundreds of fish in these holes, and you could see them down there. You're right in them, but the, you couldn't get them to go. And we think it might be all the pro trolls that are going around them. It's creating vibration issues, you know, screwing up stuff. We don't, nobody knows, but there's huh. a lot of theories going on about that stuff, but everybody's, it was really frustrating and kind of disconcerting because we couldn't, we, they were there, they were right under the boat, but you couldn't get them to, to go. And usually you can finesse them 
at least to a certain point. But well, especially with knowing you and knowing all the people that fish with you and around you, like you guys, should, if you could catch them, you guys would have caught them. Well, yeah, you're sitting around looking, and there's four other of these, you know, super high end guides and other guys. You know, we all know each other, and we're looking at each other with our hands in the air. We're like, I, I don't get it. Hmm. I, I don't get it. And, and that was last year. Not that was this last year. year. This okay. year, this year, you went down there. You you put in your right. You put in your time at, at the right place, and it was, uh, you pretty much got your fish most days, and some days it was stupid easy where, you know, you you put the boat in the water and you go down there and you're pulling the boat out 45 minutes later, you know, with eight in the box, and you're like, what just happened? Yeah. And, and that was Chinook fishing. Yeah. Did you do some silver fishing too? We did uh, later on, um, we, get, we get into that uh, twitching which is when the coho come in, typically you want it, you know, cold, uh, you know, low water. And these uh, coho, they'll come in pretty heavy in all the systems. Uh, and they'll start floundering around down there. But if you can find them in the water temperatures, right, that twitching, uh, those jigs, it's all catch and release, right? Because you can't, regardless of how many salmon are around, you can't keep them all. Um, or any or one or whatever the rule was this year. I don't know, we just do catch and release. But it's pretty common to go out there and have 20 or 30 fish mornings. Yeah, and, and what's amazing about that, too, is you probably will ask people. Because when people can't keep them, it seems like they don't want to catch them. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, well, guys, what are we out here doing this for? You already it's got like, a freezer full, probably. It's like, are, is this some sustenance fishing that you're doing, trying yeah. to feed your family? No, and it's like, I don't know why people are so adverse to fishing if they can't kill something. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's just... It, blows my mind it's like would you not rather go out with a you know a spinning rod and a straight line with a jig on it and catch 15 or 20 salmon in the morning and we catch a lot of chinooks doing that too and it's fun and it's it's not crowded like you said for that reason and yeah it's all catch and release but you don't have there's no there's no egg goo in the boat. There's no anything. I mean, you don't even t- take a net if you don't want to. Yeah, that would be an amazing, to me, an amazing fishery to take part in. Yeah. I mean, who cares about the meat in the freezer, in my mind? I mean, it's nice to have some fresh salmon. There's no <clears> doubt. But you'd already done all that, so go catch some fish and have fun. Yeah, and I mean, it, it lets you just kind of, you're just enjoying yourself. It's very relaxed. It's not this high-intensity stuff like the Chinook fishing is where everybody's weaving in and around. You're just floating down the river and, and you know, have, have a beer and just cast up, a, do your thing. And, and you know, it's it's just fun. And it's it's really nice when you get those. And it's big key is usually the end of October, early November when you have those nice days. You know, we had one day, I think, it was, it was like 70 degrees in November. We were down there just, and there's nobody else on the river. We're just in T-shirts floating around, kind of like, where are we? Yeah. And, and you know, you catch 20 or 30 of these things and, um, and some of them are pretty, there's a pretty nice coho. I mean, they're big, they're different ones. You'll get colored up ones and whatnot, but we got some, you know, up in the teens that were just chrome bright and, mm. and it's, it's just fun. Yeah. You're pinching yourself. You're like, am I having a dream? Cause this scenario feels way too good. Yeah, you're like, look, is it, does the river closed? Is this legal? Yeah. I'm not, you know, cause you're not used to actually catching fish with nobody around and having fun, you know. It's and like, with the sun shining on you and yeah, the t-shirt. Something, something's yeah. wrong here. It's like, did, is this, is, are we not allowed to be here or something? And, and there's not enough misery. Something's off. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's, it's, it is kind of weird sometimes, but I've, I've seen a few more folks get into it. Um, but you know, there's a certain, it's, it's easy to do, but there's a few little tricks. And so you're kind of in that edge. I'm like, okay, do we share those tricks to people and show them? Cause it's like, we like 
show them people how to catch fish and have fun. But same point, it's like, well, how good's it going to be if there's 30 other boats out here? Yeah. It's, it, the fishing's really good when you're the only boat out there. I think showing techniques is one thing, but showing spots is another. You know, I think it's, it's okay to show your techniques to people, but maybe not give away your secret spots. See, I'm the opposite. I'll show them where I'm catching fish, but I won't show them the little differences. The you details? Do. Mostly because that's where you can screw with people. And it gets them really frustrated because they're sitting 20 feet away from you and they're, they're not catching anything and you're on, you're on double digit fish like salmon fishing, the same thing, you know, with, with Chinooks. Until so they finally break down, like, okay, what are you doing? What are you doing? And you're like, yeah, you know, and, and there's, you have an it factor, whether it's your, your bait, your depth, your angle, the action you're putting on it. And sometimes that little thing makes a huge difference. And, and that's the key with, you know, it's all about who you know. I mean, one, one guy can't figure it all out. They may say so, but it's like you learn from other guys and you got to get a network of, of people that are willing to share and that's that's why salmon fishing is you know it's frustrating but it's fun at the same time. And if you you get a network of uh, friends that are really good fishermen that are out there constantly, maybe you can't go every day, but you know somebody that's out there every day. And so you're getting fresh reports. I mean, during the fall, you get from mid August to October, and it's like I'm talking to my four or five buddies every day on the phone, regardless who did what, what did you hear, what did you see, who did you know that did this that. And you kind of put together a plan. And then the other one is after, uh, you know, 20-something years of doing this, we all keep detailed journals. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that if you fish a lot, um, it's, it's really handy to do, regardless of whether it's kokanee fishing or, or whatever. Even hunting, you do the same thing because you forget. Um, you'll have like a, a wet fall where the rivers are up early in the season. Okay, well, we haven't had one of these for eight years. Where did we used to fish when the conditions were like this? Yeah, I can't remember. Well, we were up above, but was that October? Was that you know September? I can't remember. Well, you look back in those journals, and then you put in the little tricks like, hey, you know, we had to uh, go here. It it only happened the second half of the tide, or whatever, and all the detail stuff you can put in there um, because it'll it'll allow you to come back a couple years later and say, all right, we haven't had a, a a wet fall in seven years and everybody forgets what it is except for the 15 people that remember and or wrote it down and but you get all these guys that do fish a lot keep journals and do this and it's like you can really shave the odds down quite a bit at least be in the right place where you have a chance of catching something yeah and not that it always works no because sometimes sometimes you have on paper this should be a home run and you get out there and you just completely implode well and there's a new tree in the river or something that changed the hole completely or whatever yeah and you'll you'll find that especially with the the salmon fish and that the the fish down low you know, one year, and you'll have the same conditions the next year, and they'll be up high. Mm-hmm. Why? Nobody knows. So it's we're always trying to figure this out. And you know, is it the salinity? Is it the water temperature? Is it the combination of them? Is it who knows? And what's <clears throat> your next uh, big fishing trip you have planned in your mind? Do you have anything you're thinking about? Oh, I go every day in my mind, uh, <laughs> but um, I. We're looking at uh, the one I really wanted to try was Argentina. Okay, and what are you targeting there? Um, Chinooks. Okay. They they actually took Columbia River Chinook and, and took them down to Chile and Argentina um, in the early two thousands. Huh. And they've I don't, they don't have sea lions down there apparently. Um, 
yet. Just give it time, folks. Right. They'll, they'll, they'll be there. They'll but, be there. <laughs> but, as soon as you go. Yeah, as soon as I go. But um, And um, they've got several rivers down there where the Chinooks come in. And right now, um, and I don't know how this works, but they, they fly fish for them or they cast like spoons and spinners and stuff for them. No bait fishing, no anything. I don't know if it's not allowed or if they just haven't figured it out yet or what. But um, they've got, you know, some of these things. And these are they're Columbia River Chinook that they brought down there. But um, somehow, but they think that's uh, their, their world record size fish. There's been uh, a couple of them uh, pushing up towards 90 pounds that they've got. Man. So is it ocean conditions or something that just that warmer water down that way or? haven't really been able to get enough research in to figure it to out, figure out why they're so big. There's not much data on them. And huh. you can find these places, these, there's a couple of fishing outfitters that do this and you're mostly fishing for them a little upstream when they're starting to color up and, mm-hmm. and pre-spawn and whatnot. But they got to come through all the tidewater stuff just like they do here. And they've yeah. got to have, they're the same fish. So one would think that they would respond to the same type of fishing, mm-hmm. but they have not really done it there. And so, so you could bring your Northwest tactics to yeah. That's Argentina kind of the, the idea is to say nobody's tried this, but I know what happened up here. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, catch a ninety pounder, eighty pounder. That's a big salmon. That's a huge fish. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you can Google it up and look at the, some of the pictures, but they're all fly fishing pictures, and it's like mm. and I have fly fish for them. And yeah, you can do do well in certain situations, but conventional gear is a whole lot more effective, especially for chinooks. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm trying to research that one and figure it out. That sounds like a good one. That sounds enticing. What else could you fish for in Argentina? Would you do you always try to pick other things you could go catch when you're going to a place like that? You always try to have, you know, different things that you can look at. I mean, there's it's you know, historically, you know, you get Chile, Argentina, you know, Patagonia stuff. Uh traditionally the fly fishing for trout's, you know, marquee. Um, um and most people don't really think about it, but it's like they're environment is pretty similar to what we have as far as weather, mountains, rivers, this kind of thing. I mean, it's climate-wise, it's about the same as what we have here. Hmm. Um, But they've got, uh, I don't know if it's the way they manage it. Again, it's really difficult to find information on it other than, you know, a website with this lodge or that picture or this article. I mean, there's a hard place to get just good data. So, Is it a Photoshop salmon from Alaska? Yeah, (laughs) you don't know. And I mean, I've seen pictures of like, check out this, you know, 50-pound salmon. And I've looked at the picture. I'm like, well, it might be 20. It's a GI Joe guy holding up a trout, you know? Yeah, he gets his arms stuck straight out in front of you. You know, you can see it's like, well, you've got sausage fish. It's because you're holding it in front of the camera. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like, take the picture right, dude. You know, mm-hmm. but there are, there are, I, I do like to see if there's other stuff you can, you could fish for, or um, in some places, depending on where you go, you can get a hunting fishing combos, which are kind of fun. Yeah. Um, the cast and blast kind of operations. Yeah. And uh, those are pretty, pretty tough to find. And usually it's like, okay, yeah, what do you, what do you want to do? Um, and, you know, there's all kinds of different places around the world to go, but uh, it's really hard to spend that kind of money if you're not really sure what you're into and you typically focus in on one specific thing that hopefully is going to pan out. Yeah, that sounds like a good one to target, that's for sure. I mean, that would be kind of a fish of a lifetime kind of deal. Yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, I mean, there's the bucket lister things and there's the ones, I mean, these big fancy trips, they're fun to do, but... Uh, you know, unless you're independently wealthy and you've got a ton of time on your hands, 
it's like, all right, there's all kinds of these to go, you know, experience. So it's fun. Um, you want to go back to the same place every year? Some guys do that. I mean, Alaska's great, and there's guys that go up the same week every year, and that's what they do. But you kind of know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. Why not try something different? It's also hard to give give up the thing that's tried and true and works for you every time, too. So. It, yeah, I mean, you know, you have your you have your skill sets and you like to apply those to whatever. And, you know, it's like, I don't know if you like doing stuff where you go like, all right, I've never done, you know, this kind of hunting before, you know. Um, you know, I've heard you're a great shot with a shotgun. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, and, it, you know, but you, you like bird hunting or whatever. It's like, okay, have you tried, you know, dove hunting or something where it's like really fast speed shooting? Or yeah, a totally different game. Totally different game. And Yeah, I'm shooting typically pheasants, and they're not flying quite as fast as a dove. No. Doves, like, it's like teal hunting. It's like they come in there, they blow over your head before you know where they just happen, and you just kind of randomly shoot in the air like a hezbollah fighter trying to hit something and uh but it's it's you know the fishing's the same way it's just kind of like try something different and you know guys that don't want to like fly fish well you can go places where the fly fishing's not hard and just experience what it's like i mean if you never caught a salmon or a steelhead on a fly it's a whole different experience and it's like some guys don't care they just want to catch another steelhead right all right I mean, whatever works for you. I mean, that's, we all have our preferences. So, but I think once you start getting into it, it's like anything, it's a, how do you do it? You know, what do you want to be? And most people, you know, when you get older, you kind of want to be around your friends. You want to see experience, you know, with your kids or whatever it is and, and something a little bit different. And, you know, when you get, when you get little kids going out bluegill fishing with your kids can be one of the best fishing days ever, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, you know, what are you, what are you shooting for? What's your experience? And if, if your goal is to get X, you know, kill a big buck or, or catch this giant salmon, whatever it is, um, it puts a lot of pressure and you're not going to necessarily have a lot of fun doing it. You, you want to, you try, but, you know, spread yourself out a little bit and say, what are you really here for? And if that's your goal is to, hey, I want to get a 200-inch deer, that's, you know, I'm going to do whatever it takes okay, but are you going to be disappointed with a 190? Isn't it wild how the older we get, the less that matters? You know, like when you're younger, yeah. you want to go conquer these, like it's almost, it, not not in a bad way, but you have these lofty, you know, this has got to be the experience that I have in your mind. And as I get older, I'm just, I just want to be there. And yeah, you want to complete that goal. Like you probably would have been disappointed if you didn't catch a yellowtail, but... Right. You would have caught some other stuff. You still would have had a great adventure. It wouldn't have been the end of the world. Yeah. But obviously catching the first one was probably like, all right, this is why I came. Exactly. You know? And it's, yeah, and it's, it's, it's no different than hunting. I mean, you could spend all this time, effort, and energy going somewhere, and you know how that works with the weather conditions or just they're against you. Yeah. And, or the elk are just not in the area. Yeah. You know? For and, sure. But this is the area you got to hunt in because you've committed to it. You got your camp set up and all this and so you just kind of like all right you know yeah uh, ocean conditions could have been wrong when you guys got there and the fish might not have been there i mean you never know well yeah i mean uh, it was like what a week and a half two weeks after we were there that's when that hurricane came through that you saw in southern california the eye went right over that island mm. and uh i bet you were glad to be home yeah it was pretty rough flying out of there in the little plane when it was windy there i can only imagine and um i mean it came over and just wiped out of course there was i mean probably, you know, 
pretty much wiped out the entire side of the island as far as the buildings and everything else. But grand total, it was probably $50,000 in damage or something too. So there was yeah. not, not a lot to wipe out. Easy, easy to fix it. Yeah. 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 But put up a new, new piece of plywood. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it, you know, the, the weather variables are all that stuff. I mean, same thing if you're in the mountain climbing or whatever. It's like, you know, you want to summit the mountain, but if there's a storm that comes in, you're screwed. Or you see these pictures of these guys at the top and they're like, I promise you I'm at the top. You just can't tell because of all the fog, you know? That wasn't what they had envisioned in their brain when they were taking that picture. But. Yeah, yeah, it just kind of, it's not the thing you create in your mind. But those those what ifs, I mean, that's what keeps you getting up in the morning and climbing up the mountain. And it's like, what if, you know, it, it that, you know, Muy Grande might be right around the corner, and that's why you're always doing it. You always make that one extra cast, and you always do that one extra thing because you never know when it's going to happen. And that's that's part of the the rush that gets you out there. If you knew for a fact that you were going to, you know, shoot a three point buck when you went hunting here, okay, and it happened every time you went, are you going to get super excited about it? Yeah, right. Exactly. After a while, you're like, nah. Well, and the one more cast or the one more hill when you're hunting, it's like you always think, okay, if I go over one more ridge line, there's going to be something on the other side of it, you know? And, yeah. And same with the one more cast. I don't know how many times I've been fishing with my wife along the river with me, and I'm like, one more cast. And, you know, you're 15 casts deep, and she's like, I thought you said one more. I'm like, oh, I mean it this time, one more, you know? Yeah. Then but it's worked. You know, you catch that fish right before you leave for the day, or you see that deer on that one more ridge line, and you're like, okay. And that's what keeps you doing it. It's kind of like uh, when you, you know, it's like, we've done that before. It's like, okay, you keep, all right, we're about ready to go. All right, let's just work this area out real quick or whatever. And then you hook a fish. Well, that just starts, that just resets the clock all yeah. over again. It's you like know. right when you got there in the morning or the afternoon, you know, you're starting over from there. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, I just, I just lost, there might've been a bunch of fish just moved yeah, in Yeah, they here. just came in. They just, okay. now we got to fish more. You know, like, let's just give it another 20 minutes and try yeah. it, you know, and it just goes on and on. But it's... But that's what keeps us going, and, and uh, it's fun to get out there and just do the adventure, uh, experience stuff, um, meet other people, too. And, I mean, you'd be surprised if people actually got friendlier when they're out there. It's like you can actually make some pretty good friends and, and, and whatnot and, you know, help each other out because uh, it's, you know, everybody likes to keep their secrets. And you also don't know when you're going to have those moments. We talk about that a lot about when you're experiencing something in your mind, you're like, okay, I'm going to do this every year. It's kind of like what you were talking about earlier, or that everything changes. So, you know, you have this 20, 25 fish day, let's say, mm-hmm. and then next year, same conditions, same day, you, you had it on your calendar, and obviously the weather patterns or whatever might have changed it, but then you get there and you don't touch a fish all day. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, and it's really frustrating because you're like, hey, this should have worked. Yeah. This should have worked. And, and it may never happen again in your lifetime. There's no, probably some yeah. days you can think of that you're like, okay, I'm probably never going to experience that again. Yeah, or it's like, you know, you have one of those days, you're like, oh my gosh, I should do this all the time. Yeah. And then it's like, now that was a freak show thing. You know, the, the stars lined up and you were in the right place at the right time and it worked. And um, it's the same thing. I mean, there's been a lot of, a lot of big deer and elk killed, you know, that animal shouldn't have been where they were at, mm-hmm. you know, and you always hear about the guy that got this or that. And yeah, most of the time it's planning and this and that. But every once in a while you get the dude that just stumbled out of his car, you know. He, he, first time hunting. First time hunting. Taking the rifle out of the yeah, box. Wearing a white yeah. sweatshirt, smoking a cigarette, walking through the woods, you know, and, you know, 
killed this, some world class. And this and this elk came running down the hill and stopped in front of him. Yeah. And, and he shot it, and it was like, you, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. And it's. It does have. It's never happened for me. I've never been like that super lucky guy in most things in my life. But every once in a while, I'm not going to say that I, I. I feel like I'm pretty blessed. I the way I look at it when I'm out there in the woods is like I always pray for a good day, and I know God's got a lot more important things going on than helping me catch a fish or shoot a deer or something. Right. But um, hey, God, if you want to bless me with a, you know, at least seeing something or having the opportunity, that would be great. You know. Yeah, I just, I just, I just pray for the experience. Yeah. You know, give me something, you know, uh, that just a, a memorable experience. You know that I survive. Yeah, and, yeah. And, don't put a hook in my buddy's ear, but you know, yeah, done that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, just something like just let me see something cool. You know, mm-hmm. I, it's like uh, you know I saw some mountain goats or I saw you know uh, you know two bears fighting or whatever it is. You know, and it's like something that you wouldn't normally run into or see or it's a lifetimer. Um, yeah, and you get that little glimpse of nature and creation, and that just kind of reinvigorates you to get back out there another time. Yeah, and there's so much you don't know, and it's just, but like you said, it's like, that's the whole point. That's why we do it and get out there. It's not to, you know, feed our families. Right. Or to, you know, I've got to do this. But people's, their mission is somehow, it's like, uh, it wasn't successful unless I can walk home and say, hey, look what I killed. Yeah. And, you know, you see it all the time on the, the videos and the posters. Sure, fish pictures are cool. Look at this, that. But these guys, you'll see them holding up the big old black salmon, you know, like they just, you know, won the Olympics or something. You're like, oh, my gosh, what were you thinking? Yeah. I've taken a couple of those home when I was younger. I remember bringing Everybody them. has. Yeah, I brought two of those big old spawners, <laughs> and they had the teeth and everything, and they were all gnarly bucks, you know. And I brought them home in old burlap sacks, you know, and put them in my parents' garage. And then I think I went, I was in college, or I was like, you know, right around like maybe freshman year of college. And I left in my parents' garage and had to get to school. <laughs> I forgot about him. My dad finds Perfect. these old rotten salmon and burlap sacks. He wasn't real happy about it. Yeah. No, no. The ones you want to do is like, uh, it's when you go crabbing. Don't forget the crab somewhere. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. I had a friend, uh, he left them. In a, they were in a cooler, but he forgot about them in his trunk of his car. Oh, geez. And once that smell kind of got in there, he had to sell the car. Yeah, there was no there, getting, there was no getting out of it. Not enough coffee grounds in the world to Nothing. make that go away. <laughs> it just permeated. It, you know, it's like somehow it permeated the plastic. It just it just was not. But yeah, yeah. We've all done that where you 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 know they're good enough for the smoker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, dude, the cat's not going to eat that. Right. And it's like, just let them go. And, yeah. You know, let the spawning work. But yeah, when you're younger, you get all excited. And it's, yeah, you're catching a salmon, and maybe you don't do it that often, and you're not thinking about that it's all spawned out and disgusting. But yeah, I pull them in there, they're spitting eggs all over yeah. the thing, and it's, you know, things. Oh no, it's a good smoker. That was always the one. And like, you know, no. Like you can put your finger through the side of it, you know. Yeah, you cut the meat's just ghost white. Yeah, you don't want that. It's like, yeah, it's gonna be bad. So the other thing you have coming up uh, is that is it called the Willamette Valley Sportsman Show? Uh, I think that's what. Yeah, Willamette Valley Sportsman Show that. Uh, um, and it's here in Albany. It's here at the fairgrounds in Albany. It'll be February 9th, tenth, and eleventh. Um, and we've got the same. Uh, all the vendors out with the the fishing and hunting stuff and whatnot, and. Uh, uh, We'll have some speakers there. Um, we've got uh, Wayne Endicott um, is going to be doing a breakfast there. You can buy tickets online for that. Um, and he'll do a special uh, 
breakfast uh, speaking uh, event there, and then uh, his son Nathan will be doing some seminars and whatnot. They've got the bow rack will have their stuff set up there at the show. Uh, we've got um, trout fishing ponds for the kids at Northwest Steelheaders is, is doing that one. Um, it's a great event. It's, and it's, yeah, it's a sports show, but we've got all kinds of cool, and it's local. So Yeah, it's local, but I mean, I go to the big show in Portland probably every two or three years. And this show, to me, I have more fun at the local one just because I know a lot of the people, number one, but then you guys do a really good job. I mean, you get some good people there. You've got those five-gallon uh, bucket raffles. For yeah, the all raffles the, are pretty good. All the guns and the fishing gear, and I always buy a ton of raffle tickets. I never win, but it's it's an event that's really cool. We're going to have a booth for the Outdoor Adventures podcast this year. and uh, That'll be fun, yeah. Yeah, and our friends from the Oregon First podcast as well, they're going to have a booth. And, uh, you know, I know the Bow Rack's got a booth. Everybody's going to have a booth. It's going to be a good event. So It should be fun, and like I said, it's just a— and it was February 9th, 10th, and 11th? Yes, Is that right? 9th okay. and 11th. You can just Google up Willamette Sportsman Show. And it's um, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But, yeah, it's—I've gone probably every year for the last— I don't know how long you guys have been having that thing, but it feels like probably the last 10 years yeah, or so. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, 10 years at the fairgrounds or something. So, um, But, yeah, it should be good, and it's that time of year where, you know, what else you got going on? Yeah. I mean, it's Valentine's February. Day is all you got to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is Super Bowl Sunday that day, so oh, okay. there is that. That's why we're shutting down at three. So it's uh, like get home and watch the game. Nobody yeah. in the right mind is still going to be hanging around, right? And so <laughs> we got that, but uh, yeah, typically uh, we get pretty good crowds there. I mean, the only time it doesn't is when the, the rivers drop into shape after they've been high for two weeks, and everybody that steelhead fishes fisherman. is out there. Yeah. Um, but uh, other than that, there's not a lot going on. Um, you know, it's that that it's show season, what they call it. You know, it's like you go there and you, you you poke and prod, and you figure out all your new secret weapons that you're going to try for the year, and uh, it's no different for you know anything. Yeah, no, it's a great event. Well, um, I, I think I said this last time you came on here that we were going to fish together, and we still haven't. And so next year, your parole officer said I, you weren't available. Yeah, I'm buying a sports pack. With a salmon steelhead tag, and we're going fishing. And you're going to come bass fishing with me, too. So, like, I'm not letting you out of it. So okay. All it's right. going to happen. Tie, I mean, tie one and a line to the other, yeah. Yeah, I don't know about 90-pound salmon in uh, Argentina, but um, I'll see the pictures on that one when you get back. Yeah, we'll see. I gotta still gotta, I'm still working the, the depths on that one. So yeah. you got to research those things. If you want to be on the, the cutting edge of some of those really cool fisheries or, or trips, you have to kind of experiment. you got to gamble a little bit. And, uh, you know, you could find yourself in some weird places, not prepared accordingly. And, and there's all the legal stuff that goes with it, especially in these third world countries. But, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, you got to, you got, that's part of the fun. But also when we, when I was younger and we used to work at the same place, it was a lot easier to go fishing with you because we could both play hooky at the same time. And you were my boss. We so just, you'd be like, hey, you want to go fishing? And then in my mind, well, that's a work trip. We just you had know. a meeting. Yeah, it was a meeting. Man mandatory meeting. Yeah. Bring exactly. your fishing rod. Exactly. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, you know, Merry Christmas. And uh, yeah, I appreciate having you here. Yeah, well, Merry Christmas. And God bless you and your family and everybody else out there. And uh, just be safe and go have fun. Yeah. Thanks, Brent. You bet. <laughs>